All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. And uh, Over the next uh, five Sundays, including today, I'll be looking at some famous passages that have to do with reconnecting, and I'll share with you a little bit more about that in a moment. But this is one of those passages, one of those famous passages of parable that has to do with reconnecting. Luke 15, beginning with verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 24, and I'll make some comments on 25 through 32 as well uh, in a moment. Uh, Beginning at verse 11, it says, A man had two sons, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, some of you like to highlight or underline in your Bibles, that's a good place to underline. He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And there I am, or here I am, dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. And was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. In your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father told his slaves, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf. Slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Father, I pray that we would be able to celebrate what you've done in our lives. I pray that as a result of your word and the Spirit of God working in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls today, that there would be even much, much greater cause for celebration by the end of the service in heaven and in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. You know, a couple of weeks ago, my family was on vacation, and in between the rain, we had set out to do a little canoeing on the lake that we were staying at, and, and we got uh, to where you rent the canoes, and they were all rented for the day. And... I inquired of when the canoes might be ready to rent again, and I was told that, uh, well, we could wait a little while, but it might start to rain again. However, they did have paddle boats. You know what paddle boats mean, right? A lot more work. (laughs) A lot more work. But I went ahead and I got the paddle boats. Karis and I got one. Kent and Tina got a paddle boat, and we headed out on the lake. Uh, The sun came out for a while. It became a 
a beautiful afternoon briefly, and, and when I head, headed out on the lake, I took note of something real quickly. I wanted to know which way the water was drifting. I wanted to know which way this, this lake was kind of flowing toward the dam. I wanted to pay careful attention because I wanted to do the hard work in the beginning, if you know what I'm saying. We'll, we will pedal this paddle boat all the way to the, uh, uh, the difficult place, and then we'll just kind of let the current, we'll kind of drift. Because whether you're in a paddle boat or a canoe or any other boat for that matter, you know that there's something that is very true. It is, you, you don't just sit still unless you anchor yourself down somewhere. Your natural tendency is going to be to go with the flow. Or we might call that drifting. Your natural tendency is to drift. And the same is true spiritually. The flow of this sin-fallen world is sometimes difficult for us to pedal against. The, the flow of everything in our nature sometimes wants to take us away from God. And in your spiritual life, you've discovered that you cannot sit idle. You must be moving closer to Christ, or you will be drifting further away from Him. On this Sunday and the four that are to follow, Lord willing, we will look at five famous passages. Five famous passages on reconnecting. This is one of those famous passages. And I believe that in my spirit, the Spirit of God was saying, Robbie, a lot of folks are struggling. A lot of folks, if they'll just get honest, would have to say they're drifting, that they're not more in love with Jesus Christ today than they were yesterday, and if they're not, then that love has begun to die, and they've begun to lose their footing. They've, they've lost their spiritual grip, and they're slipping. Let me ask you a question. Do you spend time daily in the Word of God and in prayer as much so as you used to? Do you tolerate certain sins in your life that once you would refuse to tolerate? Oh, it was kind of considered a small sin at first, and then it began to grow, and it, become, it became a bigger and bigger deal in your life. Are you to a place where you're beginning to miss worship a little more and worry about it a little less, both corporately and, and private worship, having that daily time alone with God? Have you stopped thinking missionally, asking the question about where you live and where you work and where you go to school and where you find yourself are you constantly asking yourself, am I here to be on impact for the Lord Jesus Christ? Or have you just stopped thinking missionally and, and kind of slipped into survival mode because you've drifted far from God? Do other priorities occupy your mind so that when you think about opening the Word of God or even when you're sitting in a worship service, your mind is somewhere else and it's hard to think about where you need to be in your relationship with Jesus Christ? We might could ask it this way, have you lost that holy joy and that peace that comes that passes all understanding because you are refreshed in your spirit and you know that you're walking with God? Have you begun to drift? This morning I'll title the message concerning this text, Time to Come Home. Time to Come Home. You've begun to drift, there's good news. There's good news for those who, even in this place this morning, you would say, I just can't seem to find God. And here's the good news. You can't find God. God 
found you. In this very Gospel, in chapter 19 and verse 10, Luke recording the words of Jesus Christ when it came to that sinner who came to repentance, Zacchaeus, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. We're the ones that drift, but He comes to where we are through His Spirit and through the Word of God meets us where we are and He begins to draw us back to Himself. This part of the life of Christ didn't always sit well with the religious establishment. In fact, it bothered the Pharisees. Why is Jesus even telling this story? If you look back in in verse 2 of this chapter, it says the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Jesus is saying, that's right. (laughs) That's what I'm all about. I came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus responds to the complaining of the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. The Pharisees, by the way, were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. There have been archaeological discoveries that refer to them as such, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees, because they were so strict, they were so afraid that that, that living in this world and and, and being so tied to religions that, that even if they saw a woman in public, they would cover their eyes and continue to walk, and, and, and the joke was that they were always running into things, that so much so that they were constantly bruised and bleeding in order to avoid the temptations of this world. So they couldn't understand why Jesus would spend time with sinners. And he explains exactly why with three parables in this text. The first two parables reveal the heart of God and, and His desire to bring people back to Himself. And the third parable does the same, but it also includes, in in the very final passages of the story of the prodigal son, the reason why he probably told the parable to begin with, and that was that it was an indictment on the Pharisees because they were caught up in all of their religiosity that they were missing out on the importance of leading people to a relationship with Christ. So this story of the prodigal comes into play, and, and he reveals certain aspects of this prodigal's journey. And I want to share those aspects with you this morning, and I want you to ask yourself, am I somewhere on this road myself? Am I somewhere in the midst of this journey myself? The first aspect is this. I want you to see the enticement of sinful confusion. The enticement of sinful confusion. I'm talking about not thinking clearly about the allurement of sin. We begin to rationalize. We begin to tolerate things in our life. We begin to drift because of sinful confusion, the allurement of sin, and us not understanding where it's going to lead. In verse 12, we read a moment ago, the younger son is the one that asked for the share of the inheritance. He said, I want what's coming to me. And the father obliged. Now we might ask, why would the father do that? Why wouldn't the father just say, son, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're asking for. I'm looking out for your best interest and you're not getting it. Well, I don't know why in this story the Father didn't respond that way, but I know when it teaches us something about the character and nature of God that we need to learn what God is trying to tell us. And I believe that it's a reminder that God desires not for us to have some kind of religious ritualism that we have to abide by, but He wants us to have a relationship with Him that we want to pursue. He wants us to want Him. He wants us to desire to be closer to Him. 
And so he gives the son a choice, and he lets him choose to take and squander the blessings he had received. In verse 13, it tells us, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had. He traveled to this distant country where he squandered, he wasted. That's where we get the word prodigal, our wasteful living, when we refer to the prodigal son. He squandered the estate in foolish living. The pursuit of sin and self does provide pleasure for a little while, but it never fully satisfies. It never really satisfies. I would love to tell you this morning, I would love to look at some of these uh, teenage young men over here and say, listen, don't pursue the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes and pride of life. Don't pursue the things of this world because you won't find any pleasure in it. It'll let you down. But I'd be lying to you. The Bible says that there is pleasure in it. But the interesting thing about that is the Bible says there's pleasure in it for a season, a brief time. Listen to the story of Moses recorded in Hebrews. As Moses is lifted up as a hero of the faith, it says that Moses chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. Some translations say the pleasure of sin for a season. It refers to a short period of time. For he considered the reproach for the sake of the Messiah of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. Moses was thinking long term. He said, yes, I can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, and then they will let me down, or I can enjoy the pleasures of God. Psalm 1611 says, at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore, and I can get in on those things that really satisfy and really last if I can reject the temptation of the moment. But that's difficult because it's a trap. It's, it's difficult because the devil's playing a trick on us. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, he's being tempted by who? God. Let no man say when he is tempted, he's being tempted by God. For no man, or for God doesn't tempt anyone, right? But each one is tempted when? When he is drawn away by his own desire. When he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it leads to death. Proverbs 14.12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So it's pleasurable for season. It's enticing at the moment. I was reading an article that I was asking some fellows earlier what, a, what an ichthyologist is. I just found that out myself. It's from the Greek word ichthus, which means fish, ichthyologist, or is Stan would say, fish biologists. Um, these are people who study fish. And it has been said before, and, and they've proven this is a myth, that fish have very short-term memory, like a three- or, or five-second memory. And, and, you know, fish forget quickly, is what we're told. And I always believe that, because if you go fishing and you catch a fish that's a little bit small and you throw it back, that fish will get right back on your hook again. You can take it off the hook, throw it back, and it'll get back on. And I just always wrote it up to fish have short-term memory. He forgot that when he went for the bait, there was a hook in the bait. But those who study fish have said, no, fish have memories of up to five months. 
They remember what they experienced. But here's the interesting thing. They will take the bait again anyway. See, it's not that they forget what happened the last time. It's that the bait is so enticing. And some of you know the same thing when it comes to drifting and going for those things that pull you away from God. It's not that you forgot what happened last time. It's that you don't even think about it. You don't want to think about it because the sin, because the bait is so enticing that's pulling you away. And then those things that once looked disgusting to you start looking good. Look at verse 14. It says that after he had spent everything famine struck. Verse 15, he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him to in the fields to feed pigs. Now, nothing could be more disgusting for a lot of people than, than feeding the hogs. I remember being at my grandpa's house when it, you know, he, he had a hog and, and you would slop the, the pig. I remember our neighbors, next door neighbors, had a couple of hogs at one time and maybe more than that. And they would just go and, and nothing's more disgusting than what we would call slopping the hogs. But for a Jew who considered pigs to be unclean animals, you wouldn't even want to be around, this guy was at the lowest of the low points in his life, and he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods which the pigs were eating, but they wouldn't let him share in it. The things that you once thought, that's disgusting. I'll never go there. I'll never have anything to do with that. And all of a sudden, it starts to look appealing to you. Sexual sin. The idolatry of things. Language that you would use. Isn't it funny? We can hear a 12 or 13 or 14 year old use language that is filthy and we say, come on, son. That sounds awful. Grow up. But in your workplace and in businesses, there are grown men, and in some places, grown women, using those same words. Some of you have said, yeah, I've unfriended a few Facebook friends, because they, they use language that you would say, really, that's disgusting. We're adults now. All kinds of gross immodesties. That we would have said, I'll, I'll never tolerate that, and we begin to tolerate it. And we drift into what I referred to yesterday as a, a ball of confusion. That song from the Temptations back in the 60s kept coming to my mind. It's, it's just a ball of confusion. We don't even realize we've drifted and where we've drifted to anymore. But thank God for the Spirit of God and truth that meets us where we are. Where are you? What about that enticement of sinful confusion? Have you begun to drift? Or have you drifted so far that you say, I struggle even to hear the voice of God on the matter? Secondly, I want you to see that there was this experience of a sudden clarification. A sudden clarification. If we would just stop and think and allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to speak into our hearts and into our minds and into our souls we would have the same sudden clarification. Verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, stop and think. Have you done that? 
Have you ever found yourself at that place going, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I living like, why am I allowing myself to drift so far from God and the things of God? There's a battle for the soul, but there is also a battle for the mind, and we need to stop and think. When we come to faith in Christ, our soul gets victory over that battle for the soul through the cross of Jesus Christ. But then we are urged through the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I urge you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Then he goes on to say, and don't be conformed to this world. Don't get into the flow. Don't get into the current of this world and begin to drift so far from God that you find yourself out of fellowship with Him and unable to hear His voice anymore. He says, don't drift. Don't be conformed to this world. But what? He says, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test. You'll be able to know that perfect will of God. You'll be able to get in on what God has for you. You still desire that? Are you still in pursuit of God's best? Or have you become complacent to drift and say, I'll just settle for less. I just want to survive. Go through life forgetting that God called you to an abundant life. He, he recognizes, he came to a census, but by the way, he wasn't just thinking about it. He wasn't just thinking about it. He says, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. See, when we begin to drift from God, we need to come to a place where we just say, this is, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. I don't have to be here. I don't have to be in this place. He says, I'll get up and I'll go to my Father and I'll say to Him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in Your sight, no longer worthy to be called Your Son. Make me like one of Your hired hands. What's He doing? He's, he's thinking rightly. Verse 20 says, so He got up. His thinking led to actions. The word repentance, by the way, means a change of mind. It's, it's a metanoieo in the Greek. It's, it's, it's a transformation of the mind that leads to a change of heart and a change of action, turning our hearts back to Christ. So we begin to, under the leadership, I believe, of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, he begin to think rightly about the things of God. Turned his heart back toward home. Spirit and truth come into our life to help us kind of figure it out because sometimes we just don't get it. Stop. Observe where you are. Think what the Word of God says about where you are. It's like the light bulb just kind of comes on. Wow, I get it. Like the boy who stayed up all night to see how the sun came up and finally it dawned on him. Some of you will get that later. David said this in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. You can turn there, write it in the margin of your Bible, refer to it sometime, but it's one of the greatest psalms on reconnecting. It says, How happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? How happy is the man the Lord does not charge with sin, and in whose spirit there is no deceit? When I kept silent, Stupid, right? He says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle. 
From my groaning all day long, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. He said, when I was not spiritually where I was supposed to be, it had begun to affect me physically. Depression had set in and taken over not only his spirit, but his body. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not conceal my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. Have you come to your senses? Has it come to your attention that you are drifting this morning? See, I believe there's a large percentage of us. I believe every single Christ follower struggles with this. But a lot of a large percentage of us at this season in life or this part of the year, we have drifted. Somebody brought that to your attention. Listen to that spouse who says you haven't been living like you used to live. Listen to that concerned parent or grandparent who says, I love you, I'm praying for you, but I want to see you closer to Jesus than you were. Listen to that brother or sister in Christ who's trying to tell you something. You are drifting. Listen to the Word of God and the Spirit of God this morning as the Spirit of God speaks into your heart and into your soul and says, it's not like it used to be. You have drifted. And do what David did, which leads us to our third point, what the prodigal son also did, the expression of a sincere confession. He did get up, verse 20 says. And he did go to his father like he had planned. He didn't just think on it. He had a change of mind that led to a change of heart. Genuine repentance. And it led to this sincere confession. But while the son was still on his way, his father saw and was filled with compassion. See, this is the good news. God's not waiting there with a club to say, you come back to me and I'm going to let you have it. God is waiting with sincere compassion saying, listen, my desire is that you be right with me. We should fear the wrath of God when we are far from Him, not when we come back to Him. So He got up and He came back. In verse 21, we see this sincere confession. The Son said to His Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, his, his confession wasn't presumptuous at all. wasn't presumptuous. He didn't sin, saying, you know what, if I, if I just go and do this sin, all I've got to do, you've heard that, all you've got to do, all I've got to do is come back and say, I'm sorry. And, and, and there's so many people with a, kind of a, a disingenuine, I'm sorry. Anybody got toddlers in the home? <laughs> do what you tell them not to do, and then, sorry and they think everything's going to be all right. This was not a presumptuous apology. This was genuine brokenness and a confession. I have sinned. He called it what God called it. Desired to make no demands, but be back in relationship with the Father. That's how we we know He was sincere. No demands, no presumption, Just a genuine expression of remorse. I've sinned against God and in your sight. An acknowledgement of His sin. And a desire to be what? A servant. I just want to be your servant. I want to be back in in relationship with you. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, He is what? 
faithful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just. You say, how is that just to give us forgiveness? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for those sins, that we might be justified through His blood. So He is faithful, He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess means to agree with God. To call it, to say the same thing as, to call your sin and my sin what God calls it. And then we'll respond when we do that, when we come to that place. It doesn't even say, ask for forgiveness. It just says, confess your sins, and He is faithful and just. You call it what God calls it in a spirit of brokenness and repentance. Then forgiveness, the desire for forgiveness is kind of understood in that process. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all His benefits. And the very first benefit the psalmist names when he begins to list all those benefits is He forgives all your sins. He forgives all your sins. Bless the Lord for the forgiveness that He offers when we express the sincere confession. But we have to acknowledge it. We have to call it what God calls it. If you've begun to drift, you just need to acknowledge it. Lord, I've been drifting. I'm not where I used to be. You know there was a Prussian king, Frederick the Great. When, when Frederick the Great was the king of Prussia, the legend tells us that he toured a Berlin prison and began to speak to all the prisoners. And while he was touring this prison, the prisoners knew that he had the power to pardon, so they began to beg for pardon. Please pardon us. Please pardon us. And they would beg for pardon and they would say, we don't deserve to be here. I was innocent. I was innocent. I was innocent. And so they're crying out to this king, I don't deserve to be here. I was innocent. I don't deserve to be here. I was innocent. And finally he saw one young man in the prison. And this young man was just standing there. And he wasn't pleading for pardon. He wasn't asking forgiveness. He wasn't claiming to be innocent. And the king was a little confused that he had not joined the mob in, in the arguing that he was innocent and deserved a pardon. And he said, young man, what's your story? Why are you here? He said, armed robbery. I deserve to be here. I deserve to get exactly what I'm getting. When he said that, the king replied, release this prisoner at once. We can't leave him here to corrupt all of these innocent prisoners who have done nothing. We've got to let him out. He just told the truth. I'm guilty. He sang a song a little bit earlier. One of my favorite songs now. And when Jeff first introduced it to me, it began with, I am guilty. I said, let's change those words. I was guilty. Because when we come to faith in Christ, and when we confess our sins to Him and He is faithful and just to forgive, that becomes part of who we were, not who we are. Remember the hymn, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer unto God. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. The story didn't end there, did it? We see this 
Fourth and final aspect, the extension of a splendid celebration. It's time to have a party now. I believe we would see more people come to faith in Christ if we would learn how to celebrate their coming to faith in Christ. I believe we would see more backslidden Christians get their life turned around if when they came to church, people were ready to celebrate what God was doing in their life. This is God's amazing grace at work in verse 22. But the Father told His slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put, him on, put, it on, put a ring on His finger. Restore that royalty. Sandals on His feet. Bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. This wonderful celebration was extended to this son. This is how God will receive you. If you say, I'm drifting and I feel too guilty to come in the presence of a holy God because of the sin in my life, God is saying, no, I'm looking and waiting with compassion to restore everything to you so that you can be in right relationship with me again. There's no greater celebration in all of heaven than when a sinner repents and comes home. You might say, well, what will people think? Well, my Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if they think anything other than I needed the same thing or I need the same thing, then they've got a problem. You don't worry about what people think. You just come back to Christ. Let's not forget that this story was told for the Pharisees to hear it. See, the main character of the story may not be the father or the son. It may be the brother. The, the, the brother who had a hard time. And I'm not going to read the rest of these verses right now, but you know the story. This brother was pouting. He was upset. They're killing the fatted calf. They're having a big time. They're having a celebration. And he's the one that went away. I'm the one who stayed home. I'm the one that's been working. And the father had to go to him and say, Listen, son, everything that I have is yours. By the way, he's already squandered the estate part, the one-third that he would have gotten. The oldest, typically, in this culture would have received a double portion of the inheritance. So he still had good things coming his way. But he was jealous because of the celebration, like the Pharisees. He was depending on his goodness and his works to be cause for celebration. And that wasn't cause for celebration. It's God's grace that is cause for celebration. Because all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. And we all have to, by faith and repentance, come back to Christ. And it's only by His grace that we can do so. so see, so many of us, can be like the older brother here. There's a splendid celebration and we're missing it. Let me encourage you concerning something. If you have a hard time forgiving somebody else or, or, or allowing or believing that they're experiencing the grace and forgiveness of God, religious pride will rob us of more joy than the sins of others. Your religious pride will rob you of more joy than the sins of others will rob you of your joy. So many people today are talking about social justice. There's actually been kind of a revival of the subject of social justice in our uh, secular universities and, and Christian colleges. Social justice. And most people don't have a clue of what social justice is. They, they prove that every day. It's proven in the fact that there can be a, a group of people rightfully speaking out against racism. And these people who are rightly speaking out against racism like we should all be doing will turn around and vote to put somebody in office who is all for the annihilation of that very race while that race is still in the mother's womb. 
So we, we don't get social justice. I'm not sure that we really want social justice. See, justice sometimes refers to what we deserve. And what we really need is not justice, but grace. We need grace. We need God not to give us what we deserve, but we're begging for God to show us grace. Grace is better than we deserve. What we could never do for ourselves. A famous story was told by evangelist G.W. Ravensbury. Evangelist, you may have heard this story numerous times, but I'm going to tell it again. This evangelist, many years ago, boarded a train as he was traveling, preaching on the circuit. When he got on a train, there was a young man on the train kind of had his head down, kind of broken. And the evangelist, desiring to be a good witness, began to talk to the young man. The young man said, oh, I, I just, I've got right with God. I've, I've just repented of my sins. As a matter of fact, I was spending some time in jail because of some things I had done. And I decided I better confess my sins to God and, and get right with God. He said, the truth of the matter is, years ago I ran away from home. That I had some harsh words with my dad. I let him know what I think about some things. He said, my dad was right. I was totally wrong. But I fussed at my dad. I cussed at my dad. I told him I didn't need him anymore. And I left home to go become somebody in this world. And he said, I found myself hanging with the wrong crowd. Started drinking heavily. Made a bad decision. We decided we'd rob a liquor store. I'm the one that got caught. I had to go to jail. I came to my senses. He said, while I was in jail, I came to my faith in Christ, put my trust in Him, asked for forgiveness, and I believe the Spirit of God told me to go home. So I wrote a letter and I just told Dad, that Dad, I'm coming home. I told him what train that I would be coming in on. See, our house is real close to the railroad depot. You can see the house from the tracks. And while I'm on my way home, Dad, I'm going to be looking in that big tree. You know, the big tree out by the railroad track in our yard. And he wrote in that letter, he said, Dad, if you forgive me, if it's okay for me to come home, then I want you to tie a white cloth in that tree. And that will be my signal. If I see that white cloth hanging in the tree, I'll know to get off at the depot. And I'll see you at the house. But if there's no white cloth hanging in the tree, that'll be my indication. I just need to go on to the next stop and go on with my life. He told this evangelist, Mr. Ravensbury, this story. The evangelist relays the story that when they got closer to home, he said, we're just about a mile away, that the young man said, I can't even look. He was nervous. He was emotional. And so this evangelist said that he would look for, he said, I'll look, I'll tell you if I see. You just... Long before he could even get to the yard, the evangelist looked out and his mind was blown by what he saw. He said, it looked as if they had gone into the house and gotten every sheet, every pillowcase, every napkin, every white garment, even every white piece of underwear they could find, and they had tied it to every branch of that tree. And he said, son, you need to look up. You're not going to believe this. That's what our Father wants for us. 
We're saying we're nervous, we're timid, we've drifted, I'm afraid to come home. What if God's just ready to let me have it? And our Heavenly Father is saying, if you turn from sin and self and you come to me confessing it, calling it what I call it, then we're going to have a celebration. And you are going to be restored. Listen, it's not sanctification is a process. We will grow in our relationship. But forgiveness and redemption is not a process. It's a moment. The moment we come to Him, at that moment, the party starts. God is ready for you to get back to where you were. Would you bow your heads with me?